Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Eric. Eric, we always appreciate you uh, filling in for Andy whenever he is away. And Eric always does a fine job. And uh, so we can pray for uh, Pastor Andy as he is in South Asia. Uh, my wife is also on that team uh, that is in South Asia right now. In fact, my, my family is kind of spread out. Um, uh, I don't know if any of you use the Life360 app. But I pulled up the Life Life 360 app this past weekend, and I have a son in Puerto Rico, and then of course uh, the rest of my family here in Cookville, and then Kelly all the way over in South Asia. And uh, I, I went, and and the the map on Life 360 it won't quite expand out far enough to kind of take a picture of where everyone is. But I'm just I'm just so proud of of just my family and just the fact that they want to do missions and serve God. And so uh, pray for these two teams uh, while they're away, just doing the Lord's work, and uh, just uh, keep them in mind in your prayers this weekend as we're, you know, um, doing what we're doing, eating, hanging out with family, relaxing, having fun. You know, they're out there on the mission field, and they're out there doing God's work. So uh, remember to pray uh, for all of them. Uh, so this is my last sermon for uh, Preach and Heal uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Been at it for about 14 weeks now. Uh, I genuinely hope that you've been praying for a miracle in your life. Uh, I genuinely hope that we don't ever stop praying uh, for God to do a miracle in our life. Uh, we need God to show up. Uh, even whenever we feel like things are, things are, do, are, are doing good and things are well, uh, we desperately need God to show up and do things in our life. Uh, I'm under the conviction that we don't, uh, we don't seek after God as hard as we should. Uh, we get so distracted by the things of this life, uh, and, it, and it's almost as if God has to, has to kind of pull us, uh, pull us His way. And it reminds me of something that I read in my quiet time and just kind of one of my life verses. In Psalms it says, uh, don't be like the horse or the mule that must have bit and bridle or it will not come to you. And uh, in thinking about that scripture, it reminded me of something that happened a long time ago uh, whenever Kelly and I were first dating. And uh, I wanted to take her on do, to do something kind of romantic. So I took her on a horseback ride. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the course of that, uh, I got on a horse that was very stubborn, all right? And uh, her horse was kind of trained to follow my horse. I don't know anything about horses. I just know that was the way that it was. And this particular horse that I was on wanted to be in the barn. And uh, the guy who let me ride the horse, he said, now listen, uh, if you want him to go anywhere except that barn, you're going to have to pull and you're going to have to tug. And sure enough, I mean, I just had to, he wanted to go back to that barn. And I mean, I'm just doing everything I can, kicking and pulling and tugging. And I thought to myself, man, when I turn this horse loose, it's going to be a ride. And sure enough, I got this horse forcing it all the way to the, all the way to the, to the back of this field. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I let go, and that horse turned, and I kicked as hard as I could. And I mean, it took off running through that field, and I was, man, I was like Jesse James, man. I was blazing across the field, and all of a sudden, I heard Kelly laughing. And I looked to the side, of, to the side and somehow the horse that she was on had bucked her in a way that she had come out of the saddle and you know there's a horn like they call it the horn it's right there on the saddle she had gotten over the horn of the saddle and was clinging <laughs> no joke she was clinging to the neck of the horse 
and was sliding underneath the deck of the horse as the horse was galloping uh, across the field. And she was looking at me. I'll never forget it. She looking at me, just giggling, laughing until she finally fell on the ground and hurt her back. So it did not turn out as romantic as I thought of, of a day that it was going to have. But I never will forget that horse, just trying to pull that horse, just trying to hold that horse, trying to tug that horse. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I think that's kind of how God has to do with us. It's like we, we, have this, we have this tug towards the things of the world. It's like our hearts... Our hearts are constantly drawn and distracted and just, just tugged towards the things of the world. And God has to, you know, put bit and bridle. And he says, don't be like the horse or the mule. We have to have bit and bridle or it won't come to you. And sometimes, sometimes in my own life I kind of feel that way. And maybe you do too. It's like the Lord's just having to, having to pull us into his presence. Well, what if it was the opposite? What if it was different than that? What if it was like the things of this world and the responsibilities of this world, they were pulling us, but our hearts, our hearts were just lunging towards God. And if at any time we could just find a break, just a moment in time where we could hit pause at work or set aside responsibilities or things of this life, our hearts would just go lunging towards God. What if it, what if it was the opposite? And so I don't know about you, but I'm stubborn about some things in life, just like a horse or a mule, and you probably are too, things that you just... Man, no matter what, you're not going to be deterred. I wonder if we could take that stubbornness and if we could pursue God in just an undeterred manner. Like nothing is going to keep us from Him. Nothing is going to keep us from pursuing His presence and being close to Him. You know, uh, the stories that we've looked at in Luke in, in, over the past 14 weeks, we've seen some pretty stubborn people. We've seen people, some people that were absolutely undeterred in their effort to get to Jesus. We see, for example, uh, this woman who had an issue of blood. And she was willing to risk, in my opinion, she was willing to risk life and limb. She was willing to, to risk maybe even possibly being stoned just, just so that she could touch the hem of his garment. We see Jairus who had a child who was dying and he was going to be undeterred in getting to Jesus even if it meant leaving his child behind. We see this man, uh, this, this man with leprosy who actually last week we saw 10 men with leprosy just screaming out to Jesus. They had to get to him. We see this paralytic. His friends were so desperate they were not going to be deterred by a crowd. They got up on the roof and tore up a guy's roof and lowered, uh, lowered this paralytic down on a mat just so that they could be with Jesus. We see story after story of people who were completely and absolutely undeterred in their effort to get to Jesus. And we're going to see another one today, a blind beggar in Luke chapter 18. Uh, stand with me as we look at this verse and as we read this together. And we just see yet another person pursuing Jesus with everything that he had in him uh, so that he would be undeterred, undistracted um, in his effort 
uh, to get to the Lord and to receive blessing. Luke chapter 18, verse 35 says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, O Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just yet another example, a repetitive theme that we see all throughout the Gospel of Luke and really all throughout the Gospels themselves, all, all four Gospels. We see this re recurring theme, different details, but a recurring theme of people who were desperate and undeterred in their effort to get to Jesus. And in their faith, when they cried out to him, you did a work and you did a miracle in them. God, your people, over the past three months, they've been praying. Lord, they've been praying, asking you to do miracles in their life, asking you to do something amazing for them. At least, Lord, I hope they have. I hope they've been pursuing you that way. I hope that they haven't been like a horse or a mule that has to have bit and bridle. I hope, Lord, that their hearts and their souls have just been lunging towards you. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a demonstration of their faith that you would see. And I pray, God, you would do a work among your people. This is your people, your congregation. God, would you bless them? And Lord, as we look briefly into your word, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, God, would you just bond us together with each other and with the Holy Spirit and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So uh, I guess I can kind of relate to this guy. I've never been blind, but I've also never had very good eyesight. Uh, in fact, I remember the very first time uh, that I brought these glasses uh, to the podium. And I remember specifically, and it's, 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 it's really interesting that Daniel Turpin is here today. He came in for a wedding. There he is. I remember very specifically getting a text. I've since turned my text messages to where I can't get them whenever I'm on stage. Um, and uh, so, see, I remember bringing these up here, you know, because my eyes are getting bad. And I remember uh, Mike, Michael Lee. Michael Lee. Where is Michael Lee? He sits up there somewhere. Uh, he's maybe he's not here today. He picked on me. Uh, I don't mean to call names about having glass. I, I just never had very good eyesight. Ever since sixth grade, uh, I remember squinting to look at the board, and eventually, you know, I got glasses and contacts. And one day, man, I thought all my problems were going to be solved. I went and got LASIK. Anybody had had LASIK? Uh, yeah, I'm getting blind again. Uh, I don't know if I I don't know if I wasted my money or what, but uh, now I can't see far away and I can't see close. I, 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 could, I could not imagine what it was like uh, to be blind. I, just, I can't imagine living a life and not being able to see the beauty of the world. I can't imagine being able to see 
and then and then losing the ability to see. I think I could. Pro- well, I think we could probably say that about all the senses. Uh, imagine uh, being able to hear and then not being able to hear anymore. And some of you who are older than me said, "Eh." Um, I mean, I can't imagine you know having all of the senses and and somehow. I thought that was a funny joke, but y'all obviously did not think that was near as funny as I did. Um, <laughs> watch it over there. I hear you. Um, I can't imagine having these senses and then somehow losing them. And um, imagine being this man, and, and not only not only did he have this ailment, um, but also he was destitute. He was not just desperate. Uh, he was also destitute uh, in, in, in uh, this day and time. Often they didn't have caretakers that would care for them if they had certain uh, had certain disabilities. He was undeterred. He was going to get to Jesus. He was going to scream and shout. I'm convinced that he would have forced his way uh, in, through the darkness uh, to try to get to Jesus any way that he was going to get to him. But what he asked Jesus for, this one word, I think kind of I think kind of lunges. It, it just kind of kind of pops out at me. He asked Jesus for mercy. He cried out as Jesus was passing by. He cried out asking for mercy. Now you may remember several weeks ago at the very first sermon for Preach and Heal and a few times since then, we looked at one of the reasons that Jesus did miracles. And we, we uh, and I, I don't have that slide for you today because I felt like I showed it to you a lot, but one of, one of the reasons that Jesus performed miracles was just out of compassion. I mean, he just cares for people. Obviously, Jesus would do miracles to carry out his mission, to prove who he said he was. There are lots of different reasons that Jesus did signs and wonders and miracles. But one of the reasons that Jesus did miracles, one of the reasons that Jesus still does do miracles is because he cares about us. I mean... There, sometimes there doesn't have to be some grand purpose behind why God blesses us other than just that He cares about us, that He loves us, and that He desires to show us mercy. And so this word mercy strikes at the heart of something that is just abounding from the very nature of God that really shows us one of the main reasons why he did miracles and one of the main reasons why he does miracles and it's just that he's a, he is we serve a merciful god who loves us and he cares about us and and this this blind man whenever he screamed out Jesus' name to the point to where people standing around were just, were like man just be quiet he, he was asking for mercy, and I'm not so sure that at that moment that he truly understood the depth of what it was that he was asking for. Now, you've heard what mercy is. Mercy is whenever God withholds punishment. That's one aspect of God's mercy. That's a type of mercy that we see all throughout Scripture. That's a type of mercy that if you're a believer, uh, you've received that mercy where God has said, you deserve a measure of punishment, but I'm going to hold it back from you. But also, part of that mercy that we see in Scripture is just maybe what you and I would call compassion, a feeling that God has towards us. And so that's another way that we can look at mercy. It means to display pity or compassion. 
And everywhere in Scripture, we see that this is listed as a characteristic of God. Even in the Old Testament, the Bible proclaims over and over again that God is a God of mercy. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 145, verse 8, just one of the many places that this verse pops up in the Old Testament. You, you look up this verse in maybe a cross-reference Bible, or you can just Google it and look and see how many times this verse appears in various forms all throughout the Old Testament, where normally we say that in the Old Testament, God is revealed as a God of wrath. I disagree. God has always been, He has always revealed Himself primarily as a God that is gracious, a God that is merciful, a God that is slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is the God that we serve. And we see these three attributes that are twisted together and are embedded in the very nature of who God is. You see, mercy is not, isn't just something that God does. Mercy is also something that God feels. Yes, God has feelings. God has emotions. He's not emotional like we are in a negative way. But God is, he has perfect feelings and emotions that always match the situation perfectly and are always the right amount in motion at the right time and in the right way. Can I tell you, well, let me get sidetracked a little bit here. Can I tell you that just as human beings, if we could just learn to do that, think about that for a moment. If we could just learn to do that, we, we spend, it's not part of my sermon, I'm sorry, that we spend so much time on the external life, we neglect the internal life where we truly walk with God. We neglect the internal life of peace and joy and love and mercy and grace and feeling and thinking the right way. I think this is one of the things that we miss so much in the Christian life. We think so much in externals, so much in behavior, so much about morals, so much of, about how we act on the outside, how people see us on the inside, how much we practice our religion for all, all the world to see. And that is important. After all, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. But our primary walk with God should be something on the inside. Can you imagine if we could just get our emotions and our thoughts and our desires lined up with the character of God, can you, can you imagine can you imagine the transformation that could take place in your life if we, could, if we could just get that right? Can you imagine if we got that right, everything on the outside would perfectly be able to handle itself. But my point is, God has genuine emotions, strong emotions, and this, th this attribute of mercy and tangled up with it, grace and love. I don't know that you can really untwist the three of these. They just kind of all mesh together as attributes of God, separate attributes, but just, just inextricably linked together. These are, these, are, these are like the root attributes of God. Mercy is like embedded inside of the heart of God. In fact, the Bible says that God is rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Look what this, I, I, I know you, 
it, it, your eyes got to be really good. It looks like an eye exam with all that scripture up there. But basically what this says, it says that we were horrible and deplorable. But God felt about us in a certain way because he is rich in mercy. He has great love and by grace God showed us kindness in Christ. I don't think there's any place that we can go that displays the mercy and grace and love of God more completely than just by looking at the cross. I mean, think about how horrible and terrible the world was. But the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for a moment. While the world was running from God, God was feeling mercy and love and grace. Some of you think that whenever you sin, God hates you. Oh, God hates me now. He's, he's not even going to love me anymore. The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. God's, think about this. When we think about the cross, God's response to our sin was to withhold wrath because he felt love compassion and mercy so he sent Jesus to die for us what that means is is that his mercy his feelings of compassion and love and his desire to show us grace his mercy is bigger and stronger than all of the world's sin combined that's a lot of mercy God's richness of mercy, when we look at it that way, it's like it's illogical to us. And the only thing that we can do is step back when we see it and just worship. And Jesus is the only place where we can go with this type of mercy. I mean, think about it. You don't have this type of mercy. You don't have this level. We're called to be merciful, but you don't have this level of mercy on the inside of you. And we live in a merciless world. We live in a place that is absent of mercy. And even sometimes, mercy is hard to find even among Christians. Let me tell you something I hate to hear Christians say. Let me tell you something I hate to hear Christians say. Well, I don't really have the gift of mercy. Really? You have the gift of mercy? Every Christian is supposed to have mercy. We're, we're all supposed to have a measure of love and of mercy of, and of grace. Mercy's not a spiritual gift mercy is a spiritual quality that all of us are supposed to have and all of us are supposed to display and so a lot of times people say oh, I don't have the gift of mercy I'm like I know you have the sin of rudeness <laughs> There's a, you know I mean you go go get some mercy we all need look I need it too I, I, I mean I'm not I'm not uh, absolving myself but think about this for a moment I, and this is my point Think about this merciful God who desires to just dump grace and compassion upon you. Isn't that the God that you want to pursue? Isn't that the type of person that you want to be around? Is, um, to go back to the horse and the bridle illustration, is, isn't that what your heart should just lunge for and just long for? And when it is, what's going to happen is, is we're going to have an unhindered faith. 
an unhindered faith. That's what, that was, that's what was happening in, in, this, uh, in the heart of this blind man. He didn't care who was rebuking him. He just kept crying out. And when Jesus got to him, he said, your faith has made you well. Jesus says that so much to so many people. He says, your faith has made you well. And over and over we, over and over we see that. And I don't want to repeat you know, some things that I've said about faith. But think about it this way. An inner, stubborn, undeterred drive towards God is the evidence of faith. Let me, let me say that again. An inner, stubborn, undeterred drive towards God is itself the evidence of faith and, and, really, is, and really is kind of the, the essence of faith. Whenever you say, God is my only hope, I must get to Him, I must be next to Him, my heart lunges toward Him, I'm trying desperately to clear everything else out of my life. I want to take away any responsibilities that I have or jobs, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get away from all that just so I can get into the presence of God, even if it's just for five minutes, even if it's just for 30 minutes. Let it be longer than that, even if it's just for a short moment. God, I must be with you. I must be in your presence. You are my only hope in this life. When that's going on in your life, when, that, when that's going on in your heart, and you just have this undeterred lunging towards the presence of God, that's the evidence of faith. That's, that's the evidence of true and genuine faith. And maybe, just maybe, the lack of this in our life is why we don't see more miracles. I'm not saying that you're always going to get a miracle. There are some times that you have a thorn in your flesh and you beg God to remove it. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. There, there are times that that happens, but it could be that one of the reasons that we don't see God do amazing things around us is that we don't seek Him with all our heart. Like it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I want us to have an altar call. I want to invite you, uh, if you feel led, uh, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, just to come and, and lay yourself down before the Lord. There, there, may be, there may be some sin in your life, something that's going on in your life. Or maybe something that I said today or something that you read this past week. Maybe God has just been up to something in you and you just need to come and you just need to lay it out before the Lord. Perhaps today you walked here into this place and you realize, you know, I've been in a pattern of religion and moral living but I haven't really had a heart and a drive for, for the Lord Jesus and for the things of God. Maybe today could be the day that you get saved, truly saved for the very first time. I want to invite us all to stand. And you can pray right where you're seated. You don't